Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Reasons to Believe. So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 3, verses 22 to 30, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Things That Matter Most. A number of you have heard the little joke about the man who wrote a book entitled Humility and How I Attained It. You know, it's a humorous title because, as we all know, the moment you start claiming humility for yourself, well, you've already lost your humility. So really, the dilemma is that the more we try to become humble, the more likely we are to take note of our own humility and the prouder we're more likely to become. You can't hang a humility degree on your wall like a university degree. It seems you can't get humble by trying to be humble. And therefore, humility seems like such an elusive quality. And yet, the Bible claims that humility is essential to the life of the believer. Proverbs 15 verse 25 says, The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. And 1 Peter 5 verse 5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You have to be humble to get on with God. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 28 says of God, You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. In other words, God elevates humble people and eventually tears down the proud. In the end of the day, those who sought to be humble will be honored, and those who sought their own ego will be humiliated. Or as Isaiah 66, verse 2 says, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So do you want to be esteemed by God? Well, you've got to get that elusive quality called humility. Do you want God to fight against you and eventually in due time tear you down? Well then, be proud, be ego-driven, be full of yourself. You know, Jesus spoke about these things. Luke 14, 11 records him as saying, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so given how important is the matter of humility in biblical thinking, and given that the Bible is so clearly opposed to pride, it's imperative that we look at these two terms, pride and humility. Indeed, we can, without even a moment's hesitation, say that it's not possible to be a godly man or a woman and to be proud. And yet it must be possible to have accomplishments, to make an impact, to even rise to great things and still be humble. See, I say this because there are people who actually think that humility means that we don't recognize or honor people who make significant accomplishments. There are, I think, some Christian groups that refuse to acknowledge leadership or achievements because in their minds, that equals pride. But on the other hand, there can be a fierce, ungodly pride in someone who delights in humbling those who rise to positions of prominence. Those who want to stop pride in others can be some of the most arrogant people around. You know, for what drives such wicked behavior is that the person who slanders and belittles people who accomplish things, that person is often green with envy and delights in harming people who are, frankly, more gifted than they are and and often more gracious. You know, it's for all of those reasons especially important to define what it is that we actually mean by both pride and humility. 
Is it really true that the minute you try to become humble, you instantly become proud? Well, let's find out. Today, in our ongoing study of the life of Christ from the book of John, we get to our final look at John the Baptist. When we last saw him in this book, that is in chapter 1, he was bankrupting his own ministry by pointing people to Jesus. You know, that's very hard to do, and it, and it does take remarkable humility to rejoice as Jesus rises to prominence and John begins to find his ministry diminished. That does take extraordinary humility. And in our day, as in most days, I think, we tend to measure success in terms of size. Look, I know many a pastor who rates his success in terms of the size of his congregation. Years ago, I sat under a professor in seminary who was, for many years, known as the church growth expert in North America. And one day, I heard my prof say he was tired of hanging around with some large church pastors who were nothing short of egomaniacs. But that could also be true of the rich as well. You know, they can measure their importance by the size of their business and their bottom line. Many a church gives prominence to wealth because we know that with wealth goes power. And so we measure worth, you see, in size. Is your educational degree bigger than the next guy? Have you made more money? Is your church bigger? Have you written more successful books? Have you risen to a higher political office? I mean, more, bigger, better in any sense of the word. Once we buy into that way of thinking, we're going to inspire either pride or jealousy of others rather than thankfulness. But John the Baptist, the, the man with a huge ministry, was different. He was thrilled to see Jesus become more prominent and to see himself becoming less significant. Now, when we come to the end of John chapter 3, we see John the Baptist again. You know, some time has passed, and he's still doing the same thing. He's still pointing people to Jesus, and he's watching his ministry get smaller. You know, many of us can be humble for a, for a brief period of time, but you would think it begins to wear thin after an extended period of time. But it didn't with John the Baptist. How did he get that way? How did he achieve that kind of humility that would make his entire life point to Jesus regardless of the cost to himself? So I've entitled my message, The Things That Matter Most. I think that many people never give themselves to what's important in life because, well, they can't. To be brutally honest about it, their ego or their pride gets in the way. They get more concerned about how they're doing and how other people view them than with the things that matter most. I think that many people never become great in the kingdom of God, never do exploits in the name of their God, because they've never learned to be humble. So today, we're going to learn how to do what that man wrote about, humility and how I attained it. We'll learn it by watching John the Baptist. So I'm reading John chapter 3, verses 22 to 30. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Aenon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. 
You yourselves bear be witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, before we explore this text in detail, let's pay attention to the context. The text begins with the word, after this. You know, Jesus has been in Jerusalem for Passover, and during that time, he knocked over the tables of the money changers, and he engaged in a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus, in which they discussed what was necessary for eternal life. After this, after this amazing season of ministry, Jesus leaves Jerusalem and travels into the Judean countryside. He is now in the area where John has been baptizing. Even though Jesus has been catapulted to national prominence much greater than John, John's ministry is still ongoing, even though crowds have been greatly reduced. Now, our text says that his disciples have been having a discussion over purification, over the rites of ceremonial washing. Remember, John is baptizing. And for John, this is a ceremonial washing, but it's, but it's not a traditional ceremonial washing. You know, in John's day, there were those who made a practice of a daily washing in water to ceremonially wash themselves from all impurity. And the question really was, where does John's baptism fit in among these washings? How does it contribute to the, to the need to be ceremonially clean? Is his baptism like the other ceremonial aspects of Judaism? So, so no doubt, there was some disagreement among John's own disciples. I mean, is he adding something new? Perhaps he is, and perhaps he's not. Maybe it's just an extension of, of what other people are doing. And in that vein, what if John's ministry is simply redundant? His disciples weren't sure about John's place in history, nor if there was still a need for him. On top of all that confusion comes the question from one of his disciples. Have a look, someone says. Look at Jesus' crowds. They're much bigger than John's. You know that all of us are in a battle for significance. We want our lives to mean something. We want our lives to count. And by every external measure, John the Baptist was failing. But at that very moment, we get a picture of just how great he actually was. The regular gifts of our partner to tell monthly partners have become the very backbone to sustain the Bible teaching programs of Back to the Bible Canada. Programs that reach out to every demographic using every possible medium, teaching the truth of God's Word that speaks into every area and question of life. Partner to Tell monthly partners are critical to the ongoing ministry of Back to the Bible Canada's daily Bible teaching program with Dr. John Newfeld. They support the ongoing ministry to young adults through In Doubt. They provide messages of hope and joy shared daily that point to Jesus through Laugh Again. And now your gifts will become increasingly important as Truth in Life Today reaches potentially millions of households offering biblical truth that engages culture. Thank you for all you do. And if you're interested in joining the ranks of Partner to Tell Partners, do so today by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. You know, earlier on in John chapter 3, 
we learned that Nicodemus was interested in telling Jesus just, just how important he was. And now we have John the Baptist who never obsesses over his own importance. And from his response, and I mean his response to his dwindling ministry, I see a picture of a remarkably significant and yet a remarkably humble man. So I want to identify two principles from John's life that will allow us to remain humble for a lifetime. Remember, the key is over the long haul. If you want to be exalted by God, become great in the kingdom. And if you want to make an impact for Christ that will be remembered for eternity, you're going to have to walk in humility for the rest of your life. You're going to have to shun pride and adopt an attitude of self-abasement. Well, how do we get humble? Well, here's principle number one. We can receive only what is given us from the Father. Look again at verse 27. That seems to have been a maxim that John lived by. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from above. You know, that mirrors exactly what Paul would later say in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? See, everything that you have has been given as a gift from God. Your looks, your intelligence, your health, your energy. If you're smarter and healthier and more good-looking than someone else, it's, it's because that's what God, in His sovereign wisdom, gave to you. If you're able to make more money than someone else, that's a gift from God, provided you do it within the law of love. There's absolutely nothing that you have that you can rightfully boast about. If you have talents and intellect that simply allows you to rise higher than your peers, well, don't deny it or don't pretend it's nothing. Look, it is significant, but understand that it's a gift of God. And this gift was not given to you on the basis of your merit. The same God who gave to you can, in his wisdom, take any time he wants to. Anything that drives your ego is really an assault against God. You're pretending it wasn't given. You're lying to yourself and others and more. You fail to acknowledge that what you have is from God, and that's called unbelief. God gives, and we respond on the basis of what he gives us. That's true about all of our raw talent, but someone's going to say, well, wait a minute. You know, if I hadn't worked so hard with what I had, I'd, I'd have nothing. Well, that's true. But who gives you the power to do that? And think about the country we live in. You could not be successful if you lived in a, in a poverty-stricken country. Their trying hard might not cut it. Your access to education and a free market economy, including a host of other factors, you had no control over all of that. It was given to you. Stop being arrogant and learn to give credit where credit is due. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. That's also true about our own calling to ministry. Whatever ministry assignment you have, and all of us have been called to some form of ministry, that calling was assigned from heaven. Live within that. Imagine with me a giraffe who's convinced that if he only you know, tries, he's going to fly. And then he jumps off a cliff, and what a rude landing. Or a, imagine a duck who thinks he's a lion and attacks a water buffalo. You have to operate within your calling. The world is full of people who are unhappy with that concept. I meet people who, who don't like what they've been given. And more importantly, I meet people who deny that truth. 
But John the Baptist lived by that maxim, and it was put to the test. Let's go over again what happened. When Jesus started his ministry, he started baptizing just like John, except he was better at it. It's not just that people were leaving John and going to Jesus. In John chapter 4, verse 1, it says that Jesus was making more disciples than John. He was baptizing more than John. Listen, he was a better preacher than John, and, and he was the Messiah unlike John. Now look at verse 25. A theological debate had begun between John's disciples and a certain Jew. Now, we don't know exactly what the debate was about, but as we have seen, it was about ceremonial washing. It was about John's importance. Now, here's how I imagine the debate. John has been saying that you need to repent and be baptized before you can be ready for the Messiah. doesn't matter if you're a Jew. You still have to repent and be baptized. So along comes a Jew who says, look, there's nothing new here. This is just one more form of Jewish ceremonial washing. And so an argument ensues. John's ministry is being belittled, and his disciples are upset. And then to make matters worse, the ministry is all the while being decimated. Jesus has begun to baptize in the same region, and so John's disciples couldn't even say Jesus' name. They just call him the one you testified about. And here's where John's maxim would be tested. Things are going badly for his ministry would he still believe that a man could only receive what he has been given from heaven? Apparently, he did. He rejoiced over Jesus. So let me ask you a question. How do you react when someone gets what you might have thought should be yours? Maybe it's a promotion that comes at work and it goes to your colleague. You and she have been working on the same project and for some reason, she gets the recognition and you get passed up. So you might respond in envy and anger, and you might begin to talk trash about her. Well, how about the other way around? Let's say you're succeeding beyond your wildest dreams. Should you belittle yourself? Well, I think not. You should say a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. The way you respond shows whether you walk in faith or whether you walk in unbelief. The first principle of humility is the principle of faith. You are assigned a role from heaven. Relax. You simply have to buy into it. Now, here's the second principle of humility. You must act on the basis of what we know is true. See, the first principle is a theological commitment. The second is the actual outworking of that commitment. So, let's reread verses 28 to 30. You yourself bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. You know, I've noticed a couple of curious things that happen whenever I, as a a pastor, have done a wedding. You know, the first thing that happens is I walk in with a groom and the best man and whoever else is up there. And at such a time, I, the pastor, I'm I'm standing in the center of the stage. The groom is usually to my right. He's off center. Then the flower girls enter and a ring bearer and then all the women who are the bridesmaids and the maid of honor comes in and finally the bride enters with her dad and all the people stand and it's it's great. And then I finally get them up there and, and let me tell you something. I'm running the show. 
I mean, I've rehearsed this thing with them and I preach to them and I, I get them to say the vows and I get them to sign the marriage document and I get to pronounce them husband and wife. And, and then they go out the back door and I'm alone left on the stage, standing in the middle center stage. And listen, no one cares one bit about me. They're all crowding to the back. They want to see the couple. You know, I sometimes think that I could stand at the front then and cluck like a chicken and no one would care. I mean, I had my moment in the sun and then, well, it's all about the couple and that's how it should be. The New Testament compares the relationship of the church with Jesus like a marriage. Jesus is the groom, the church is the bride. And John the Baptist says, I know, and I'm the best man. A good best man isn't envious about the groom. He doesn't say, maybe I can get the bride to marry me at the last minute. He isn't happy for himself. He's happy for the groom. He slaps him on the back and he says, I'm so happy. I'm proud of you. Enjoy your day. See, at some point in time, every single follower of Jesus must say with John the Baptist, I must decrease. That's my role. I must decrease so that he increases. In the end of the day, when all my accomplishments are evaluated, everyone will remember that it was done in Christ. That's how it was accomplished. And they're going to forget about me. And they're going to clap and applaud him because it was all about him in the first place. John not only believed that way, he lived that way. That's how he became humble. He had grasped what mattered most. And see, that's our challenge as well. We've got to grasp what matters most. And once we do, it will never be a question of our own ego anymore. It will be a question of the glory of Jesus Christ. John, I'll admit right off the bat, this is a great message for me to hear. But let me ask you the question, how do we keep it before ourselves? How do we keep humble? Yeah, I know, and that's the, uh, you know, I, that's why I think that John the Baptist is such an excellent example. I mean, just first building this into his heart that whatever I have has been given from God, and and just rehearsing that, saying it over and over again, and refusing to accept any other approach to whatever I accomplish or what I fail to accomplish. I mean, just to grasp that first one. I think the second one is, you know, the actual outworking of that stuff. I mean. It, And as we all know, this is very difficult to do, but I think like everything else that Christ commands of us, we can train our flesh to begin to submit to the will of God. Um, And, um, you know, we'll be tested many times. We'll be tested. Thanks, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Laugh Again with Phil Calloway will be celebrating its fifth anniversary in 2019. One way we'll be celebrating is by inviting you to join us for the Laugh Again fifth anniversary Caribbean cruise. From February 3rd to the 10th, we guarantee a week of laughter, fellowship, spiritual refreshment, music, and so much more upon one of Royal Caribbean's newest incredible ships, the Oasis of the Seas. Is it a time for a family vacation, a getaway with friends, or a time to simply kick back? 
Enjoy all the sights and sounds of the Caribbean and allow your heart and soul to be ministered to. Well, join Phil Calloway and friends this coming February 3rd to the 10th, 2019 for a vacation of a lifetime. Laugh Again, Truth, bringing laughter to life. For more information, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or check out laughagain.ca.